This is Nick Redding, and you're listening to PreserveCast, a podcast with a worldwide listenership that explores the broad world of preservation from every angle, from drones to mudlarking and everything in between. Now, let's get preserving. This is Nick Redding. You're listening to PreserveCast. Today, we are excited to be joined by Seth Clark, who is the executive director at the Oak Mulgee National Park and Preserve Initiative. Um, and we're going to be talking about what that all means. But before we do that, we like to get to know folks a little bit. So, Seth, um, where are you coming to us from? Where'd you grow up? And uh, how did you get into this line of work? Yeah, well, thanks for having me. Um, I actually was born and raised here in middle Georgia. Um, my family's, my parents are from Macon. Both my grandparents are from Macon. <laughs> and um, I grew up in a rural uh, county just north of here in Monroe County. Um, I uh, worked in um, uh, at the state legislature on policy issues for a number of years um, and uh, have always worked on issues of conservation and environmentalism. And so the I came to this line of work through um, my deep love of growing up on the Okmulgee River and the intersection of that familial and that familial passion. I grew up fishing on the river and hunting in the public lands down here. And uh, and it intersected really well with the idea that um, this ecosystem des- was deserved, was des- was this ecosystem deserved the most vaulted public lands designation in the country. Um, so um, I started there and real and, and accepted the position as executive director on the passion of creating Georgia's first national park around these lands that, that raised me. So, and before you got into all that, what's your, your, your background? Did you go to, what'd you go to school for? Did you, uh, you know, what was your sort of first job? And you, you talked about policy work, but was that you were sort of more policy focused before you got into kind of the, the history and conservation side? Yeah. I mean, I did a lot of, a lot of zigzagging. Um, I was at, uh, started college at, uh, Mercer university as a, as a vocal performance major, I would studied opera. Um, and, uh, and then, uh, moved to Germany and went to, um, school in Tübingen, uh, and, and, uh, studied German and political science and history over there and came back and went to Georgia state. Um, after that, I, I joined AmeriCorps and AmeriCorps changed my life. Um, I did a term of service, and as a uh, caseworker for homeless children in the Bibb County School System, which is here in Macon, and um, uh, then did a term of service in Atlanta at the largest emergency overflow in the South. Um, uh, after that, I directed a statewide AmeriCorps program and also ran a legal clinic out of the homeless shelter, which was sort of the first um, kind of eye-opening experience of what policy, good or bad, can do directly to people's lives and the impact of, of a community. And, um, and, you know, I worked on issues of, of, uh, uh, issues around poverty and, and higher education access and in, in the capital, uh, in the state capital for a number of years after that, based on my experience. And, um, we, um, ended up back home. Uh, I think if you had told 17 year old Seth Clark, he'd be living in Macon, he would, call you a liar, but I'm um, moving home is the best decision we've ever had. I lived in Atlanta for 10 years. Um, met my wife at the homeless shelter. Um, she's a, she's a, um, uh, a licensed therapist for uh, a nonprofit here. Um, but, um, we, um, we moved back and, um, uh, I also, after I moved back, I ran for the County commission and, uh, was elected. Um, so, and then, uh, subsequently was elected by my colleagues on the commission as mayor pro tem. 
Uh, so I'm the mayor pro tem of Macon Bibb County now and have been for, for two years and um, accepted the job as executive director about a year ago. So that's the that's the zigzag or the abbreviated version of it. <laughs> that is that is quite the zig. That's the zigzag zig. I mean, that that is. Yeah. That is that is that is an interesting uh, uh, connection there, and I didn't realize that we should be re- referring you to as the Honorable Seth Clark. Oh God! <laughs> um, so uh, we'll, from, from here here on out, we'll we'll be calling you Mr. Mayor. So um, so let's talk about Okmogi. Um, for those don't who don't know, maybe like take a step back and kind of put this all in context. You know, you kind of you you mentioned there's a river with the same name. What is the connection here? What kind of a landscape are we talking about? What is the what is the significance of this site? And then maybe we will talk about the organization itself. But but what is this kind of resource that we're talking about um, for those who aren't familiar? Sure. Well there's there's two really um there's two big uh buckets uh, of this of this corridor that are incredibly important and that and that deem it um in my opinion worthy of 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 being designated a um a national park and preserve um the first is what we've really kind of hinted at is the ecological uh, the the ecology of the ecosystem in the Omogi corridor um the Omogi corridor that we're looking at put in you know that we're that, that's being studied by by the National Park Service right now to to be the 64th national park and preserve in the country um, it, it resides on something called the fall line. And the fall line is the drop in the Georgia, uh, the, the drop in landscape from the Piedmont region to the coastal plain region. And as that drops, it creates a very unique, uh, a very unique series of ecosystems of, of pockets of ecosystems. So the, the, um, and the climate, the climate changes as that, as that drops as well. Um, but so the, the upper part of the old Mulgi is very rocky. It's granity. It's, um, if you, if I were to blindfold you and drop you into, um, uh, the upper old Mulgi, I could probably convince you that you're on, uh, a mountain river in Montana. It's very, very granity, very rocky. Um, the, it, the water is, um, is, is, is very, very clear if it hadn't rained in a while. Um, and as the as the grade of the of the landscape drops, it really turns into what you would imagine is a very traditional swampy blackwater river. Um, and that and, you know, with the ecosystem and the uh, flora and fauna and, and species change with it. And um, and so, that it, you know, it's home to uh, we, the, the, the ecosystem that we're proposing be preserved as a national park and preserve um, <laughs> is is home to a number of. Uh, uh, rare and, and endangered species. Um, it is uh, also, we're very lucky, this community and the communities, the, a patchwork of communities along the Omogi River has a deep tradition of hunting and fishing and, and and uh, you know, and hunters and fishers, as far as I'm concerned, are the best land conservationists and land managers in the in the nation. And so we have a deep tradition of conserving this corridor through a patchwork of either um, federally hunting lands, state hunting lands, um, national monument or national historical park land and, um, and, and hunting and hunting leases and preserves. And, um, so the corridor itself does not suffer from, uh, industrialization. The, really the, the, one of the, the, the main reasons that we are pushing as hard as we can right now is that, that that's not necessarily the case. Um, we've been, middle Georgia has been very blessed that to have this longstanding tradition, this organization, um, how is, is the, the, the preservation of that ecosystem and the, um, is, is really the foundation of this, of this organization, but this organization has been around for 15 years before, 15 years before that there was another one. And before that there was another one, the first 
civic calls to create a national park out of this land came in 1934. So this is about a century long, almost a century long effort um, based on that tradition of conservation and preservation of these lands. Um, the uh, the other aspect of it is the cultural aspect. You um, and it's and it's it is probably the most. Um, uh, it, it, it frankly, the cultural aspect of these of these lands and and interacting with it um, and learning about it changed my life. I mean, I grew up, like I said, fishing and hunting along these lands and and feeling like this river and this and these these lands were etched on my soul. Um, but the, these words that we 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 knew too, um, the Talaga River, um, Hitchiti, um, Omolgi, um, these these uh, these Muscogean and Creek words that, um, that we didn't, you know, I didn't grow up, but really understanding why they were here. We understood that this was, this was originally the land of the descent, you know, the ancestors of the Muscogee Creek nation, but not really, you know, that was a, that was a, that was conceptual, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't there, the, they, they had been, you know, by the time I was born, they had been 200 years removed. Um, and, um, what we, what this partnership has really, really morphed into is a deep, um, foundational partnership with the Muscogee Creek Nation to understand the cultural significance of these of this corridor. And what kind of cultural resources are remaining um, of, of the nation? Yeah. So, um, Omogi, when you go to the National Historical Park right now, which is what it is, and I think kind of describing that describes the significance of um, the, the indigenous significance of this project. <laughs> the um, uh, when you visit there now, there is a uh, uh, it's it's 702 acres that are open to the public. Um, last year, we were successful in more than doubling the size of the National Historical Park through uh, a, a, a partnership with the Peyton Anderson Foundation, uh, the Knobloch Foundation and the Land and Water Conservation Fund, which are federal dollars for land acquisition um, that uh, we we partnered with the Open Space Institute to purchase that land, but that land is currently under cultural consultation uh, and and uh, with the National Park Service and the Muscogee Creek Nation to be open to the public at a, at a later date. But the but since 1936, the land that we think of as the Omogi National Monument of what was, the Omogi Mounds National Historical Park, which is what it is now, um, is 702 acres that is surrounded around a landscape of what would um, have been considered a... Uh, um, a, a mother site. It's it's where um, you know tribal warriors and tribal legislators came to meet um, from different tribal towns um, around the region, and it was deeply significant. It was so deep, and, and the, the the mound site that the site right now houses about um, seven major mound sites. The Altmogi National Historical Park is still to this day the uh, the site of the largest archaeological dig in American history. Um, the uh, Roosevelt created the park in 1936. Uh, the archaeological dig um, started uh, shortly after that, and it was abruptly stopped when we entered into World War II. Um, the, um, as you can imagine, the Muscogee Creek Nation has um, uh, a, a deep, deep interest in the preservation and um, and uh, and and, and co-managing the 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 um, the cultural sites and their ancestral homeland. So, um, if you expand the scope of the project to what is being proposed and studied. There's seven major mound sites on um, on the land right now. When you expand it down down river, we, and we're proposing that we put 56 river miles of uh, into conservation. Um, 
the that number of mound sites goes up to I believe fourteen that have um, that are unexcavated that are um, that that need 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 uh, attention for they need to be stabilized. But also, if you expand the what what is generally thought of as prehistoric and historic cultural assets, that number goes from roughly twenty to eight hundred and ninety five. Um, and so we're talking about a very very significant cultural site for um the ancestors of the muskogee creek they um and the the uh, just a very 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 brief history of that the, the site was so significant that um the the forced dispossession and remove of 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 land from the muskogee creek nation by the, the the state of georgia and by the united states government it was a long process it was a series of treaties um the muskogee creek nation was um uh, a series. There, there were a confederacy. There were a series of tribal towns that that lived that lived in the region and traded together. Um, but they were, you know, they all had very separate, um, uh, se- separate identities, separate. Um, but they 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 lived and worked together and spoke common languages. Um, they formed the confederacy to deal with to deal with to deal with these treaties and to deal with um with dealing with the Spanish and the English and then what would soon become the Americans and, and the Georgia government. Um. The 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 dispossession or the treaties was a, a, a series of two hundred uh, you know hundred years or so of different treaties moving um, seeding land uh, westward between um, generally between uh, watersheds between rivers. Uh, the site that we're dealing with was considered so important by the to the Muscogee Creek Nation that they carved it out of each treaty until the last final treaty uh that which was the underpinnings of the um of the uh the trail of tears of the really the the, the major act of indian removal by the american government in 1821 for at least for the for the ancestors of the muskogee creek um in 1821 they they that was uh forced from their hands in um uh in in the treaty of indian springs in 1821 um so it's a very significant site uh the muskogee creek nation today uh, they live in uh, their, their their reservation is in northeast Oklahoma. Uh, there's somewhere between ninety and hundred thousand citizens. It is the fourth largest sovereign nation in uh, uh, tribal sovereign nation in the country, and um, they are um, one of the most resilient and passionate. They have some of the most resilient and passionate leadership I've ever worked with. And uh, that comes from this story. It comes from these these sacred grounds and um, and the partnership that we've developed, both as the um, the current stewards of these lands and the and the ancient former stewards of these lands um, moving forward together to be collectively the stewards of the land is um, has really, really given this um, this effort, which has historically been you know, a conservation and, and, and environmental effort, but turned it into a cultural and um, a, a cultural preservation and, and an act of reconciliation. I mean, act, I mean, that's the, that's, that's part of this, of this park that, um, and these lands that, that when I started, I didn't particularly understand the depth of the need of that in, in the community that I grew up in. And um, we do now, or to it, we understand that there is a, deg- we don't understand the degree, but I, I don't, I don't want to speak for anybody else, but but I do understand the necessity of it. And that's what this park, you know, I know that's a lot of words, but that's, there's this, this preservation effort means a lot to a lot, a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And, um, but that cultural aspect of it 
and the reconciliation between this, the stewards that were and the stewards that are uh, is what has been deeply, deeply meaningful for me. So that's a good place talking about the necessity of this and the preservation work for maybe us to take a quick break, come back and then talk about um, the efforts to turn this into a national park and preserve what that means versus the National Historical Park, how people can be supportive. Um, and we'll do that all right here on PreserveCast. Historic preservation can't happen without skilled tradespeople to perform the work. And there's a critical need right now for those tradespeople. The Campaign for Historic Trades, powered by Preservation Maryland, is working to meet that need by strengthening apprenticeship opportunities within historic trades. In partnership with the National Park Service's Historic Preservation Training Center and Conservation Legacy, the campaign is currently recruiting for NPS Traditional Trades Apprenticeship Program, or TTAP. TTAP's an intensive 20-week apprenticeship that provides young adults the chance to learn historic trade skills while working on America's most iconic historic sites. Multiple positions are open for the 2022 season at national parks across the country. Visit historictrades.org for more information on TTAP and how to apply today. This is Nick Redding. You're listening to PreserveCast today. We're excited to be joined by Seth Clark, who's the executive director of the Elk Mulgee uh, National Park and Preserve Initiative. Um, and that's actually what we want to talk about, the initiative itself. So, you know, you talked about how this goes back to the 30s and the preservation work here. What's the difference between the National Historical Park and this park and preserve? And what's the current status? Yeah, absolutely. So the, um, you know, these, a lot of these, a lot of the, um, these park units uh, have to go through a, a series of of designation, redesignations. And that's, that's basically the process that we are, um, our mission is to shepherd that process along. Um, the, uh, the park was created by, uh, initially as a national monument through the Antiquities Act under, pre under the, under President Roosevelt's administration in 1936. It remained that way until 2019. Um, in 2019, uh, President Trump signed a bill into law that, um, that, uh, uh, was a bipartisan piece of legislation uh, at least the, the Mulgee aspect of it most certainly. Well, actually, I actually think the whole piece of legislation was um, where we redesignated the um, the National Monument to an Old Mulgee Mounds National Historical Park. Uh, in that, Congress also charged the National Park Service with doing conducting a three year study called a special resource study to um, to study the viability of it becoming a, a national park and preserve. Um, that um, we are in the final phases of that study. Um, right now, uh, that study is linear. And at any point, you do not meet um, the feasibility criteria, whether it be national significance, cultural significance, ecological significance. Um, uh, that study is ended and uh, it is recommended to the Secretary of Interior's office to recommend to Congress to not create this park. Um, we're in, like I said, we're in the very phase of that and the study is still ongoing, um, uh, which is a quite a very, very good sign. Um, the other thing that happened in 2019 was was Congress expanded the boundaries of the National Monument, which was 702 acres, to a possible of almost 3,000 acres. Um, and our organization is, has been charged to work with partners to acquire the land inside that boundary from willing sellers. There's no we, this 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 project, the federal government or any of the any of its partners do not use eminent domain. They only are allowed to acquire land from willing sellers. Um, we have to acquire it at fair market value, or it has to be donated to a partner and then deeded over if they would, if if the land would, if if the seller would like to donate it. Um, 
So last year, uh, we were we we're uh, so far we've been very successful with that mission. We we are um, we're on track to fill this border out uh, um, very quickly. Um, we we purchased roughly a, a little less than a thousand acres last year um, using uh, 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 um, matching philanthropic dollars with federal dollars and um, uh, working with the Open Space Institute. Uh, uh, they're a national um, uh, land conservation organization. And uh, we more than doubled the size of the park last year and uh, are well on our way to um, to bring other tracks in the boundary online, which is a, which is part of the mission that, that Congress asked us to do. Um, and so what happens next is Congress has to legislate this thing. And um, uh, that's that's where we are in the process. We uh, the idea of expanding to a national park and preserve is widely supported. We enjoy uh, deep bipartisan support historically and currently. Um, that is, you know, that is, that should be edified by the fact, you know, I think the, the cultural aspect and the environmental aspect, um, what this can do to mitigate the effects of climate change by having a resilient, uh, a, a resilient conserved floodplain, I think, uh, should edify, um, some of the support. The other side of the support is that this is, um, we're, this proposal would allow for the expansion of the hunting lands that, um, that are, are incredible. I mean, I grew up hunting and fishing these lands and they're, they're absolutely incredible. So that's, when you hear us say preserve, you sh- it should be thought of as a hunting preserve. It's to it's to allow for um, to allow for continued access and continued management of hunting lands, but also allow for the the, the growth of those hunting lands too through um, land acquisition uh, in those in the areas of the corridor that would be deemed hunting. And lastly, right next to the proposed area is one of the most important military installations in the South, Robbins Air Force Base. Um, and Robbins Air Force Base is. Um, uh, they're they're worried about encroachment uh, uh, and, and encroachment on their flight patterns, um, and so they're they and they're they are um, the majority of the people that work on base are civilians. They see this national park and preserve proposal as an increase in quality of life of the folks that, that live there and work there, and um, and and so we the 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 concept this concept would put buffer land, if you will, um, into conservation around the park around the around the base around the gates of the base. Um, to protect them, to, to, to protect their future missions. So um, there's, like I said, this is a, this park is a lot of things to a lot of different people. And, um, and that's with that support, um, we are looking to have this park legislated uh, very soon. Um, we're, 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 um, we're um, working with uh, Congress and working with, with folks to um, make sure that uh, this is, this is legislated and that the will of, Middle Georgians and the Muscogee Creek Nation is um, is really um, uh, brought to fruition this year. I mean, it's 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 very much time. It's been studied, and and um, and and the partners are are um, you know we're we're keeping our end of the bargain up with land acquisition and making sure that we're all bringing everybody to the table. The municipalities, it goes over five um, five counties, are still very supportive of it, and so um, we are you know anxious for Congress to act and create. Georgia's first national park and preserve. So if people want to learn more about this, learn more about you, get engaged in the project, um, where can they find all that information? They can go to oldmogeepark.org. And we will that's, put a link. that's the Oldmogee National Park and Preserve Initiatives uh, website. And we'll put a link in the show notes to that. Um, so obviously you've got your work cut out for you with this. We'll keep an eye on, um, you know, if this happens in this Congress, we're racing towards the end of a Congress and normally there's a lands bill at the end. So um, I'm sure that that's, you know, the hope that uh, we can get it wrapped up, as you said, this year. 
That's exactly um, right. And we're very appreciative of, of both the House members and the and the senators who are working on this. And they're working in a tradition of bipartisanship around this one issue that has existed for a very long time. And that is, um, I don't think, you know, uh, I don't think your listeners will be surprised, to, you know, to hear that that is as unique as it really is. I mean, it's it's a very um, it, this watching our legislators and the former legislators that worked on this, too, who are no longer in office um, uh, to see them hold hands on this issue when, uh, you know, the political economy says that they shouldn't. It really does mean a lot. And it really speaks to the importance uh, and viability of this project. And um, but I, I, you know, would be remiss if I did not thank um, the um, the federal elected officials and former elected officials that have gotten us to this point and that will get us to the the final point. And you're absolutely right. This is something that we are expecting and hoping to be legislated in this Congress. And before we go, we ask this of everyone. Obviously, we've focused a lot on Okmulgee and uh, uh, your, your love for this resource. But we do ask everyone if they have a favorite historic place or site. And it doesn't have to be that. But you could you could say, of course, it's that and then give us another one. Hmm. Um, a favorite historic place or site. There is um, a small chapel in uh uh, right outside of Kiebingen, Germany. And it is the, it is a one room chapel and it sits up on a hill and it's called the Wurmlinger Kapelle. And it is, uh, one of the softest and most sacred spots I've ever sat in. And, um, I think if I had to pick one very quickly, it's not, you know, it's not, um, I think that, that would, that would very much, uh, get close. But I think if we're, you know, it's not a, it's not a building or not something that's been, something that exists because of conservation and preservation um, is uh, I think I feel the stillest um, shoal bass fishing and wading with my son in the upper old Mulgee. And, and I'm really grateful that there's been generations of, 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 um, of folks that have kept those waters as vibrant and, and, uh, and healthy as they, as they are for um, me and my son to enjoy them. And hopefully my, my grandson as, as well. It's, it's, um, it's a very, very, unique fishery in a very uh, still and peaceful uh, way to um, to slow your head down and to and and um, it's just a, it's just a very peaceful place and I, I anybody that's on listening to this the fly fishes if you're not fishing the upper old mulgi you're missing out on one of the best fisheries in the world so I hope you all will visit well that's a that's a great place to end it I hope everyone does visit and I uh, hope we can uh, re-release this episode as soon as um, the legislation is passed and we can say uh, you heard about it here first on uh, Preserve Fest. Seth, it's been a pleasure to talk with you. Excited to hear about this project and, and uh, optimistic and keeping keep our fingers crossed um, that this gets across the finish line this Congress. Thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, no, thank you. And thank you all for all you do. Thanks for listening to PreserveCast. To dig deeper into this episode's story, head over to PreserveCast.org for show notes and our collection of previous episodes. Don't forget to engage with this podcast by subscribing, commenting, and leaving a review. Follow along on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at PreserveCast for even more. PreserveCast is currently recorded in Walkersville, Maryland, and sponsored by the 1772 Foundation and powered by Preservation Maryland. Thanks for listening and keep on preserving.